illuminating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Welcome to The Kale Clark Show. It is Brooke Taylor in for Kale today on this Tuesday, August 29th, the Memorial of the Passion of St. John the Baptist. And you know, here at Relevant Radio, we've got you covered with the feast days I heard starting this morning with John Morales and Sarah and Glenn beginning the day with beautiful reflections on today's feast day up through the afternoon, of course, Holy Mass at noon. And so we're going to keep it going. There's a powerful sermon from Doctor of the Church, St. Peter Chrysologus. He's he's not only one of the great homilists, he is, in fact, known as the Doctor of Homilies. And so we're really going to read a beautiful excerpt, I think, from one of his sermons that I actually hadn't heard before and just had to read and reread again. And I hope you're blessed by it as well. I'm just going to share an excerpt. But what I'll do, what I'd like to do is to post the entire sermon in the show notes. So if you go to the Kale Clark page, you can find and read that, but we'll just read a portion. Also, Brother Richard Hendrick is here with us. He is a priest friar of the Irish branch of the Franciscan Capuchin Order, currently parish priest of the oldest church in Dublin, Ireland, which was originally founded by Vikings, Viking Christians, settling in Dublin around the year 1000. And I've had the pleasure of of interviewing him many times over the years, and it's always like going on retreat. And so I pray for you that you feel that as well. We're going to spend the hour with him and talking about everything from the changing of the seasons. This is a good time of year to look at contrast and the month of September dedicated to the sorrowful mother. And one of the themes today is contrast, the natural world revealing as we draw closer to autumn, the days are getting cooler in the morning and shorter, and we're still going to get some high heat. So you've got both of those things going on. And depending on where you are in the country too, we will begin to see the leaves start to turn. And But yet maybe still you're enjoying swimming. We've got Labor Day weekend coming up. And so this is really a great invitation to notice the small things, the little hint of gilding that begins on the edge of the leaves, again, depending on where you are, but even the sky. This week, we had the super moon. Of course, we've got the big things, too. We're praying for everyone who is in Florida in the path of the hurricane there. But so before we get to Brother Richard, I want to touch on that beginning part of that theme of contrast and read this brief portion of the sermon that I mentioned from St. Peter Chrysologus, which also touches on this virtue and vice Herod and John the Baptist, this contract, uh, this contrast. And we read in the gospel today, that is the beheading of John the Baptist account, St. Mark chapter six that we read. So here is what he writes about that in his sermon. Again, this is St. Peter Christologus. He says, today, while the virtue of John, John the Baptist, and the ferocity of Herod are related to us, our innards were shaken. Our hearts trembled, our sight grew dim, our mind became dull, our hearing deserted us. For is there anything within human sensation that remains undisturbed when a huge amount of vice destroys a large amount of virtue? Herod, it says, apprehended John and had him bound and put in prison. John was the school of virtues, the instructor of life, the model of sanctity, the pattern of morality, the mirror of virginity the epitome of purity, the example of chastity, the way of penitence, the pardon of sins, the discipline of faith. John was the apex of the law, the seed of the gospel, the harbinger of the apostles, 
the silence of the prophets, the lamp of the world, the herald of the judge, the forerunner of Christ, the preparer for the Lord, the witness of God, the mediator of the whole Trinity. But Herod was the very one who desecrated the temple, ruined the priesthood, disturbed its proper order, profaned the kingdom, corrupted anything that had to do with religion, the law, life, and morals, faith, and discipline. Herod was ever an assassin toward his fellow citizens, a brigand toward people of any distinction, a ravenger toward his allies, a robber toward those of his own household. He goes on to say he was a murderer of his children, a slayer of foreigners, drenching the land with gore in his bloodthirstiness. And so it is that he gulped down the hallowed blood of John from his enormous cup of cruelty. Wow, wow, powerful. That's just an excerpt. So the entire sermon is really worth reading, meditating, studying. And what a description. Again, that's just a portion of that sermon by St. Peter Chrysologus, doctor of the church, doctor of homilies. And we'll link that full sermon for you in the Kale Clark Show page in the notes. And so St. John the Baptist, we ask, we say today, Ora Pro Nobis, pray for us on the memorial. And it's also the last week of August. So there's a lot of things shifting and happening as well when we look at it liturgically and just from a calendar perspective. Does it feel like the last week of August to you? I don't know. Everything is still kind of in flux. But I say, I guess for me in mom mode, it does feel like we're shifting. Our son is away at university, just dropped him off last week. The rest of our children back in school. We started last week here, but I know for a lot of people it might be this week. Some homeschoolers are maybe starting after Labor Day, high school football, all the fall sports cross country underway. And so, of course, then we have the Labor Day weekend and we're into September. That is Friday. And you see already the commercial world pushing us forward. The pumpkin lattes are out. You've got all the fall styles and fashion ready to go. But where are we spiritually? And I think that's one of the great beauties, again, of the liturgical season. Every day is an opportunity to follow the cadence, the beautiful divine office, the breathing in, breathing out lungs of the church, and to be able to be enfolded into the communion of saints. And on Friday, September 1st, we turn that calendar, September. It will be the month dedicated to the Sorrowful Mother. And the Feast of the Sorrowful Mother will be on September 15th. That is the day after the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So I'm sharing all of this by way of preparation. We try to get everything prepared for us as we start the week. But again, in our spirit, it's an opportunity. And so I'm so grateful to bring in one of the best when it comes to noticing the small things as a contemplative. And that is Brother Richard Hendrick, priest, friar of the Irish branch of the Franciscan Capuchin Order. Currently, parish priest, as I mentioned, in Dublin, Ireland, at one of the oldest parishes there, Church Street Fiery, and delighted now, even though he's up late, to have him join us on the program today. It's good to speak with you again, Brother Richard. It's good to be with you, Brooke. Thanks very much for having me back. Thank you. Welcome to the show. And I also want to mention your book, Still Points, because that really takes us through the feasts, the seasons, beautiful devotions as you write and whether it's meditations or poetry, so powerfully on the liturgical year. And maybe we can start with that, Brother Richard. You have a really beautiful reflection on autumn, the season. And I guess as we think about this shifting time, what comes to mind Mm -hmm. when you think about the season of fall? 
Yeah, it's 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 just well. First of all, I'm I'm going to reveal my hand here. It's my favorite of the four seasons. Um, <laughs> it it for me, it has always been a time of beginning rather than a time of ending. Um, it's one of those those beautiful um, moments that allows us to really, I think, deepen our appreciation of natural beauty and of transition and of change. Now, I know, like every kid, I dreaded you know August September coming in and seeing uh, you know the school uniforms appear once again and the, the the books beginning to be collected and all of that i'm sure the parents had a very different experience there was probably a sense of relief that we were heading back to to a more regular um way of life but but for me now this season is is a season that invites into a slowing down into into a deeper appreciation of the beauty that 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 God gives us um, in every moment and and in every in every natural uh, gift to us. Um, I can't remember who it was, but I do know there was somebody that said, "Autumn is the reminder of the earth that Eden was once here," um, because it it allows us to to sort of sink into a presence of beauty. Um, that isn't always apparent to us in the rest of the year, and especially maybe in the busyness of summer. I think it was the poet John Donne said, you know, in heaven it will it will always be autumn. Um and it's it's just that reminder to us that that as things begin to change, as the colors begin to appear, as you so beautifully described earlier, there can, if we allow come an interior slowing, an interior deepening, an interior awakening even, um, in in a greater way to the presence of God that is behind all things. Uh, we we celebrated um, St. Augustine's feast uh, yesterday, yesterday yeah. um, and uh, one of the, the beautiful things Augustine says is that God has written two books. The first is the book of Scripture, and the second is the book of creation, and we're called to read his word in each. So I think autumn is, is, a, is a good time to maybe begin our spiritual reading of, of the natural world. You know, you talk about contrast, and that's a bit of the theme we're going to weave in throughout, but also the season of contrast. And we talked about virtue and vice with John the Baptist and Herod. And just thinking about Drew Mariani in the previous hour and talking about this synthetic technology, the nature of whether it's AI or cyber chips or digital currency and the real, the tangible, the shovel in the dirt and the beautiful sunset and things that are so sensory. And this month of September and the beginning of fall really just explodes with that. And you have a beautiful writing in your book, Still Points, about Mm. the month of September and how it brings us into contact with the contrast of the seasons changing and how we we encounter God, like you mentioned, St. Augustine or your patron, St. Francis, through the natural world by our senses in this season. Maybe you can take us into that a little bit as well and what to be on the lookout for. Sure. Well, I, I, I think um, particularly as we move into, into September, w- one of the first things that's revealed by it is, is that uh, our, our church obviously teaches that, that reality itself is sacramental. You know, it, it arises from the divine imagination, from divine love. And so it, it is all uh, a love letter uh, written by the hand of God. Every, everything that exists in its very nature is, is essentially good. We see that in Genesis. We see that uh, reaffirmed again and again by the saints, by the, 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 the mystics that you've spoken of, by 
um, St. Francis particularly, I suppose, is, is most well known, but so many of the saints turn us back again and again to reflection on, on nature, you know. Um, I think particularly of somebody like St. Bernard, who speaks of, of, of the, the rocks and the trees being our teachers, you know, in the ways of faith, as well as the preacher in the pulpit as such. And so when it comes to the month of September, I, I think some of the things we can begin to, to watch out for are just the, the, the yielding that takes place. There is a surrendering um, that goes on in nature. You know, the trees begin that surrender of their leaves. Uh, the, the fruits and the berries that are out there, they're, they're, they're there for us and for all living and wild things. And yes, they're a natural um a natural technology, if you like, that, that allows uh, the proliferation of the species, the next generation. But they're also a gift. There's a sweetness in the berry and a sweetness in the fruit that is to remind us of the joy um, that, that God has, has reserved for us. There is a, a, a gold fire that begins to arise, not just along the edges of the leaves, but, but even um, the edge of the sun as it just begins to, to appear again uh, through the the branches as they they begin to lose their leaves. There's an extraordinary moment. You mentioned the supermoon this particular uh, this particular week. Um, the, the, the moments when the winter skies, the autumn skies, begin to be that little bit clearer, the stars that little bit sharper, and all of that I think is calling us to hone inner attention, uh, the, the the faculty of attentiveness within us that responds to this by, as Saint Bonaventure famously said, you know, realizing that creation is a ladder by which when we contemplate it, we mount higher to the one from whom it all comes. And so we begin to be more aware in the ordinary and in the day-to-day -day shifting and feeling of that, that those seasons shifting around us and beneath us, that there is uh, an origin of love from which it all comes and from which it all arises. So I think any of the little changes that we can begin to see any of the things that are out there, even if it's only just, oh, it's a little bit cooler today, you know, sniffing the air and, and sort of, you know, reminding ourselves that, yeah, it is different. It's different than it was a couple of weeks ago. It's different than it was even a couple of days ago. And just following that, that transition gently and with presence will guide us into the lessons that each season gives. Because if, as we believe, the seasons are a divine gift, then each one of them has a particular lesson to offer to us. I think especially, too, because we're less in an agricultural culture, mm. in, in certainly in the United States, and that also speaks to the seasons very much, the growing season, the harvesting, mm. and where we are, as I bring our youngest son to school every day, we pass many cornfields, and so you see how high the corn is getting, mm. and through the summer that growth. And it's a small thing, but to be able to attend to that, the fertility of the earth, God's goodness, his abundance, the gift of the rain. And I think too, wherever you are, there is beauty, whether you are in Arizona or whether you're in New York, like you said, even the air takes on a different aroma in the fall and the sunsets. And I want to just read a portion in your book, Still Points, as you write about autumn and you say, for the contemplative, there is so much to attend to to be mindful of in this season, that one must start small. Take some time with an individual leaf or tree. Pause often on your way and listen to the wind or the songs of birds as the dawn chorus begins to find its way back after the quiet of the nesting season. That's something we talk about a lot, Brother Richard, is that beauty has an evangelizing power to it. And mm. it 
is universal. We feel it, you know, the, the, how profound a sunset or the power of the ocean can be and to notice the small things. And it might seem childish or in our rush of to-dos. It's not in our priority list, but it sounds like it might be one of the most important things, you know, just as we wake up and sit with sacred scripture, it's like the dew on the grass and the sheep, when they are able to receive that hydration, it's like the best of the day and the same thing when we notice Absolutely. or when we sit, you know, with God's word. And so it sounds like it's not the big things. It's just the small things. Very small things. And sometimes people can think, oh gosh, if I'm going to begin this kind of contemplative journey, it's a very complicated thing. It's a very deep thing, or it's not for me. It's for, you know, the the, the monastics in their monasteries and convents and hermitages and things like that. And, and St. Paul, um, when he when he speaks of, of the encounter with God that is the birthright of all Christians, he speaks of a deep knowing, um, what he calls da'ath, a, a deep knowing in the bones of um, the loving kindness of God present in the world, you know? And when we come to that awareness, then we begin to see that, that you know, you mentioned that the, the pumpkin lattes, you know, but I mean, simply sitting with the gift to the senses that a hot cup of tea is or um, the, the the movement towards the more autumnal foods, uh, the, the various kind of festivals that we have, we, we, we forget sometimes, I think, because of that separation from maybe the agricultural year, that even the, the, the calendar, the liturgical calendar is very much attuned to the rise and fall of the seasons. So, you know, midsummer we have the birth of John the Baptist. You know, we have the coming, the coming of of light in, into the world. Uh, all around Europe, particularly, the tradition was that on St. John's Eve, which was around about the 23rd, 24th, um, we would light bonfires because it was just after the the, the summer, the summer, um uh the midsummer's day. And so you were you were saying you know, okay, well, the light of the sun was at its strongest, but it's already beginning to fade a little. But now we look to the inner light, the light that comes first in John as the, the harbinger and the herald, and then will come in Christ. And then once we arrive at the height of August with the Assumption, you know, the Assumption wasn't just um, the, the Feast of, of Our Lady. It is, as the Church continually reminds us, the Feast of Hope for Ourselves. That, that where Mary has gone, please God, through the grace of God, we will one day follow. And one of the things that happened in Europe um, quite a bit, I think, that, that a lot of people are unaware of is that August's Feast of the Assumption was the day particularly of the blessing of the herbs and fruits that would be used to make the medicine for winter. And there was a beautiful corollary of the earth surrendering um, the, the ingredients for healing, the ingredients for medicine, etc. Right at the moment when we look to Mary as the example of what our healed humanity will actually look like at one, at, you know, at the end of time. And uh, the church actually provides even to this day a blessing that can be done on the Assumption Day of the, the natural herbs and ingredients that would be used for medicine. In many Benedictine abbeys, the people would actually come with the ingredients from their garden. And these would be laid around the altar and even under the altar cloth for the first mass of the Assumption so as to sanctify these gifts. And then they would be sent back to the houses for the people to make their, their home remedies, etc. And those rituals are still there in the Roman ritual to this day. But again, because we've become more industrial and even post-industrial at this stage, even for those of us who are trying to live the, the, the calendar of the faith, we can sometimes forget that, 
that we will find in the natural world an extraordinary help and support for living that calendar of faith, that the one reflects the other and that the one actually deepens our appreciation of the other. So beautiful. And and I know you have a really... um, just beautiful writing on that as well about the blessing of the herbs. And Jim was saying they do still the blessing of those flowers and the herbs after mass on the yeah. assumption. And I know in the Byzantine church in the Eastern Rite, there, there's the liturgy in which that still takes place. So it's encouraging and it's yeah. something so important to, I think, continue. And like you said, the beautiful fulfillment of, of one and the other. And mm. ju- we're up against a break. Um, but I wanted to just touch on something that made me smile when you referenced the tea and again, the mm. small things. Uh, one of the thing, maybe, I don't know, is there anyone else that feels this way too, but that I recognized one day in a particularly intense period of, of raising our, our five children and, and just not feeling like I had much quiet and peace. And that was, I just had this prompting that one of the great loves that I have is when I can have a cup with a saucer. And I thought, you know, usually we have like our big mugs or our tumbler and we're on the go and it represents I can take it with me or even if I'm Mm -hmm. sitting at the table. But very few times have I actually had like a cup with a saucer. I know in England and in Ireland, that's more common, but you know, it would be on these special occasions. And so a friend of mine bought me a tea set with a saucer because for some <laughs> reason, the saucer represents slowing down. Yeah. I'm going to take yeah. my time. And so again, it's these small things or even to hear we have an old clock that you can hear the actual hands. And there's something about the old clock hand that I think can bring peace and, you know, there is, of course, we read in, in scripture that uh, to teach us to number our days. So I want to, there's so much to follow up on this. I also want to make sure to open the phone lines as we take a break here and continue with Brother Richard. He, Franciscan Capuchin priest, friar, joining us on the line from Dublin, Ireland. He is a writer. We've been talking about his book, Still Points. He's been featured on BBC, CNN, here on Relevant Radio. And we're talking about slowing down, how the changing of the seasons can bring peace peace and the spirit of St. Francis and draws deeper in prayer and a good time as we wind down these days of August. We'll also, when we come back, talk about the month of September dedicated to the sorrowful mother. would love to hear from you. one 914 is the number to call. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show here on Relevant Radio and the app. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Ah, the birds turn, turn, turn based on Ecclesiastes 3, I think, to everything. There is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. This is the Kale Clark Show. Uh, Sitting in on one of Kale's two terrific shows here on Relevant Radio, just wanted to mention, in case you haven't heard, that this week on Kale's other show, The Faith Explained, there's a new series that just launched. It's called Jesus 101. Really fantastic teaching on our Lord, our champion, why it matters so much, not just to know what we believe about Jesus, but why we believe it. 
And if you didn't hear the the first episode, the first show, the introduction, you can always go back, grab the podcast. It's right on the Faith Explained show page. And that program airs every day at 1230 Central. It's right after Daily Mass here on Relevant Radio. Today, here on the Kale Clark Show, I'm pleased to bring you a conversation with Brother Richard Hendrick. He's joining us from Dublin, Ireland, up late. I think it's almost midnight there, I believe. And I imagine the pubs are full, but but are the churches full too? That's the question, Brother Richard. I wanted to ask you about that because we here in the States, different things, but sometimes a bit bleak about what's going on in Ireland in terms of the state of the church there and so many people leaving the faith. But you're in the midst of the people. You are a shepherd there in Dublin. What are you seeing? Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, there's no doubts about that. I think like most of um, Western Western Europe particularly, uh, there is no doubt that there has been a decline um, in, in church going um, over the last number of years. I mean, when I, I'm in my 49th year now at the moment. Um, and so when I was growing up, it was a much more homogenous society, about 95% Catholic. Of that, maybe about 70% regularly practicing. Um, that is absolutely no longer the case. And we would have had a, a large um, fall off, uh, I suppose, beneath the kind of wave of secularization that has washed over the world. Um, but but having said all of that, there are wonderful signs of renewal um, taking place as well. So we, w- we would have seen after quite a number of years of um, a kind of a dearth of vocations, there are... Um, uh, reasonably big numbers of young people who are who are discerning, who are seeking at least, beginning to look towards meaning again or looking towards uh, vocational life. Um, one of the things that that that, that is, I suppose, a, a particular joy to me in the parish that I'm in is that being an inner city parish, like most European inner cities, it's a little bit of a United Nations. There are plenty of of the Irish and the old Dublin families here, but there are also many other. Um, cultures who have come to join us. And uh, we have a very, very large group of um, Brazilian, uh, of the Brazilian community who are now here in Ireland, many of them studying or working here. Wow. Uh, and their uh, devotion to the faith is absolutely wonderful to see. Um, they live their faith, they live it extremely strongly, and and they are, you know, absolutely out there have no problem talking about their faith or, or the fact that it's so, so important to them. And that in turn has actually acted as a kind of a wave of evangelization um, uh, where, where it's, it, it, it has recalled their host nation, or at least some of their host nation anyway, to their faith. Um, and that has been a, a, a great gift to begin to see that that moving as well. Um, but I would say there there is no doubt that that uh, like the rest of Western Europe, uh, this is a moment of crisis uh, with regard to to faith in general. So my feeling or my 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 work, I suppose, is to find the seeds, to nurture them as much as possible, to continue to preach um, the faith in all of its truth and beauty and 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 love and joy, um, and particularly for ourselves as a as a community of Capuchin Franciscans to show people that our outreach towards the poor and towards those who are in need particularly um, comes out of that Franciscan gospel spirituality um, 
and 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 that that's why we're making a difference. That's why we're doing the work that we do. We have a a food center here for the homeless um, that feeds about a thousand people every day. Um, it's it's a wow. huge undertaking, uh, and some of the the brothers are involved in that. But there's a huge team of volunteers as well who go into that uh, into the work of that. Many of them come um, simply out of a kind of a a charitable uh, humanity. Uh, but what they find when they connect to the experience of working in the center of meeting the people and being around the friars is they begin to to open uh, doors again in their own life uh, to faith. Maybe doors that they had thought were closed or doors that they never even knew existed. Um, but the Lord uses that experience of service and help and, and charity as a way of maybe opening up um, the possibilities of, of faith for them as well. So, um, yeah, there are seeds and the spirit, the spirit is always at work um, and there is always the possibility of renewal and new beginning. But it's to nurture those things and also to assist people in discerning in a world where, as, as you know well, as we all know well, there are so many voices, a cacophony of voices that very often drown out that still small voice of the spirit. Um, to invite them into experiences of, of calmness, of peace, of prayer, of, of spirituality, where they can actually begin to encounter the Lord who loves them and who wants the best for them. Well, thank you for that, that snapshot, that insight, and also a reminder to pray for our faithful priests and religious as well, because certainly there's so much that you carry. And thankful it sounds like that you have a good community in the friary there and your fellow brothers yes but there just, are 11 of us here so you can good. keep the, the the 11 the 11 apostles not the 12 but the 11 <laughs> apostles in your in your prayers please yes for sure and i know you evangelize in many different ways we've been talking about your writing in particular your poetry your meditations and as in this time of year how it relates liturgically and want to get back to this end of august time period as we approach this new month and the Blessed Virgin Mary, September is the month dedicated to the Sorrowful Mother, and I guess we can shift into that because there's so much there with her title, the feast day, the rosary, the seven sorrows, And but I want to get into the word. Maybe you could help us with that because there are particular graces bestowed when we even meditate on that which is related to the title. So sorrow, mm -hmm. what do we mean when we say our Lady of Sorrows. It seems self-evident, but maybe you could um, explore that a little bit with us. Sure, sure. Well, I, I suppose the first thing to say is, in, I'm presuming your, your your listeners know, but maybe if they don't, the Church dedicates a particular devotion, um, or, or at least invites us into a particular devotion in each month. And moving from August into September, we move from one Marian mystery into another. We move from meditating upon the Immaculate Heart of Mary in August. To, to that ancient, very ancient devotion in the church, goes back at least to the very early Middle Ages, and the devotion to, to the sorrows of Our Lady or the mysteries of her sorrows. And it's important for us to recognize that while we speak of sorrow, and sorrow naturally has a quality of sadness about it, um, we're not speaking of a kind of an abandoned sadness or a hopelessness. Our Lady was never hopeless, you know, she is the faithful witness, the one who remains absolutely faithful even at the foot of the cross. In fact, many of the fathers of the church speak of Mary being the one faithful witness of humanity. When all else had fallen away, Mary is there at the foot of the cross in absolute fidelity to the plan of the Lord, continuing her fiat, continuing her, behold the handmaid of the Lord that began all those years ago in Nazareth. 
and indeed began from the first moment of her existence, really. Again, going back to our, our good friend Augustine, he has that beautiful, beautiful um, maxim that Mary could never have conceived Christ in her womb had she not first conceived him in her mind and in her heart. So we, we have Mary's yes being contrasted with a yes that is sorrowful. And I think that's something that, that many of us can understand. We're trying to follow the way of faith as fully as we can. We're trying to be faithful to the Lord. And yet there are tragedies and pains and wounds that we go through that certainly test our faith and maybe test our hope even at times as well. And so the month of September comes to offer us this picture of the mother at the foot of the cross or the mother meeting her son along the way or the mother who, from the very first moment of her sons coming into this world, knows that there is sorrow ahead, you know, the prophecy of Simeon. And all of these various um, meditations and encounters allow us to recognize that in, in our broken world and in our broken selves, um, the Church reminds us that there is the inevitability of sorrow, the inevitability of tragedy, the inevitability of pain, but they are not pointless. And that's a really important thing to be able to say as a person of faith, that the pain and the suffering we go through, when we look to Mary, to this example of faithful witness, we recognize that our sorrow is different to the sorrow of those who have no hope. As St. Paul famously puts it, you know, we mourn, but not in the way of those who have no hope. Um, and so the sorrow of Mary, yes, it is, of course, sadness and of course, pain. But it is sorrow and pain floating over an equilibrium, a foundation of absolute faith. And so we can look to the mother, we can look to Mary as a model for us to, to at least try to come to that, that faith, even in the midst of sorrow and pain. Now, earlier this year, I enrolled in the Confraternity of Christian Mothers, which is a beautiful apostolate. It was founded in mm. France 150 years ago for Christian mothers to to pray for our children, discuss some of the struggles in, in raising children in a culture which is increasingly hostile to, to Catholic values. And this was, of mm. course, after the French Revolution. So that was the culture that uh, very much lived through that. Zilli Martin was a member. Yes, She's the mother yes. of St. Therese of Lisieux. But the patroness is Mary, Mother of Sorrows. And you see how Our Lady, under this title, really assists in navigating grief and crosses in our own life through her example. And of course, sons have sorrow, perhaps with their parents, the brokenness of relationships, and fathers have sorrow. But for mothers, uh, Brother Richard, how do you see Blessed Mother consoling the hearts of mothers in this way specifically? Oh, my goodness. Um I feel like I'm 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 standing on very very sacred ground talking about this, and I'm even a little bit trepidatious um, in, in terms of of standing uh, in in a, in a place that is really this this as one of our African sisters would say to us, this is women's business in in a really in a really important way. You know, the the bond between um, human mothers and and um, Our Lady in 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 a, in a, in a transcendent um, aspect of communion with her. Um, it, it is one of the deepest, deepest mysteries. I suppose one of the, the wonderful things about the saints and especially about Our Lady is that we see 
the kind of archetypes of human society actually come to life in front of us. They are real. You know, the saints are are the, the real archetypes of human virtues and of, of human graces. Um, coming through broken life, but 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 revealing revealing grace, building on nature. But when we come to Mary, we come to a different quality entirely. And so, I think what Mary has to offer to mothers who are sorrowing over their children in whatever way, in whatever way that it might be, or who are sorrowing over the pain of loss or, or the pain of tragedy, is simply the gift that that most people really need in the moment of pain which is silent presence, the presence that accompanies, the presence that enfolds, the presence that, that, that offers absolute unconditional love and support. And that's what we see in Mary at the foot of the cross. You know, she is silent, but there. And her son knows that she is there. And she doesn't try and take the suffering from her son. Instead, she unites herself with her son's suffering. That's so and goes through that suffering with him. And in, I want to um, probably when we get back from the other side of the break, look at those seven sorrows of Mary in particular. But mm. thinking about for the hearts of mother and for, for everyone, I don't want to single out, but that vocation and what a mother carries uh, mm. From the very beginning, and and you often when when a child is lost to miscarriage, you know, so mm. often there's a guilt of I did something wrong, I didn't do. I run into this all the time in speaking with special needs parents, and the mom will mm. say, "I I did something or I took something when I was pregnant. I know it." And it begins from that very start, which is why I think there's so much that we need to continue to pray for women who have had an abortion because we know the wound is beyond anything. Despite what people may say, shout your abortion or it's okay or I didn't care or it's a clump of cells. We know the reality, the heart, yeah. the flesh of my flesh. That is a different story and it's with you forever. And I think about, you know, from a newborn, this, I know a lot of parents have this story. We experienced this with our, with one of our sons where he, there was a loose string that got wrapped around his toe from his sleeper as a baby. And he cried, but we could not figure out what was wrong. We couldn't see anything. We just go into this, you know, automatic troubleshooting mode. Is it his tummy, diaper, teething, earache? What is it? And then when you find it out, it's like, oh, I should have known. I feel so bad, you know? And then, you know, for, for me now, I have a, a 13 year old daughter that has, a profound special needs. And I remember she was at a therapeutic horse riding lesson and she was out on the trail. And when she came back, she had mosquito bites all over. And I felt terrible because she is limited in terms of her verbal. And this was a few years ago, so she definitely was was limited. But I thought I should have known. I should have thought ahead because as a caregiver, if you mess up, it could have serious implications where you are in charge of their care, but also when you have older children who have left the faith, you you go back over it again, or they are addicted, or something goes wrong in your life, their life. It's so hard to make that separation of it's my fault. And I think Our Lady and the Sorrowful Mother, like you said, it is her presence just there and saying, I understand these swords that pierce her own heart. It is the reality. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think um, there, there's two little bits of Irish folk wisdom I might share with you with regard to all of this, which I think is beautiful. The first is um, with regard to, to, to the, the, 
the, the child who is born special. And, and I think special is, is, is a very beautiful word when, when we use it in its proper sense, you know, that, that they, they, are, they are special. Um, in, in Irish, those children were known as the Dinaladia, which was the person who is always with God, literally who walks with God, who is in the presence of God. Um, and their job was to initiate the rest of us into the presence of God by making us more attentive, more aware, by simplifying us, by taking away pride and vanity and all of those kind of things. And so um, there, there was the understanding in the community that someone like that actually, you know, had a vocation as such, um, maybe one that wasn't chosen, but, but a vocation uh, that was for the benefit of of their family, of their community, because it 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 brought them into into a deeper awareness. Obviously, with a lot of pain and a lot of struggle and a lot of 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 tragedy, but at the same time, there was a divine gift, a divine side to to that. the the other The other piece I think that's really important um, is the closeness of Mary to our ordinary domestic situations. Um, St. Therese of Lisieux famously said, you know, I, I want to hear more sermons about Mary as the mother who cleaned the house of Nazareth. Um, and sometimes in our great exaltation of Mary as queen, and rightly so, we've just celebrated her, her um, assumption and her queenship, we, we forget the 30 years, you know, we forget the 30 years of ordinary domestic family life. Now, of course, in one sense, it was absolutely extraordinary. There's the second person of the of the Trinity, you know, as as her son. But be, you know, even within that, Christ is choosing the silence and quiet of family life to show us the importance of it. And in choosing Mary to be mother and and Joseph, indeed, to be foster father, um, he is he is giving them to us. As, as principles uh, of, of domestic um, accompaniment in terms of our own spirituality. So for all of the mothers out there who are going through the difficulties or the problems with, with children in whatever way, in whatever way they're going through, remember they are also Mary's children, that from the cross Christ made her uh, their mother as well. And so when you're despairing of it all or finding it absolutely impossible or difficult. The Irish used to turn to the picture of Our Lady or the little statue of Our Lady or whatever they, they had and they would say, remember, she or he is yours as well. Remember. And they'd speak to her as familiarly as that, you know. One of the oldest Irish prayers to Our Lady says, you can't say you won't and you won't say you can't because of Cana and because of Calvary. So, once we can say that to, to, to Our Lady, which we can in the familiarity of, of love and the familiarity of faith, we know that, that we will always have um, someone to appeal to, even when our young people seem to be, and, and very often it seem, seem to be uh, distant or separated, even from the life of, of, of faith. Where we can't go, Mary can. 
And and again, as you referenced Augustine several times, we think of St. Monica there as well. We're, we're up against a break. Amen so much there, Brother Richard. Beautiful, beautiful. Behold your mother. Brother Richard Hendrick has been with us. He's a priest friar currently residing in Dublin, Ireland, and blessed to have this time with him. With the time we have left, I think we might be able to squeeze in one or two calls. one 914 is the studio line. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale here on The Kale Clark Show. More to come in a moment. Hail, our favored one, mother of the sun. To you, God has come, the Lord is with you. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale today. Brother Richard Hendrick is here, a Franciscan Capuchin priest, friar, joining us on the line from Dublin, Ireland. He is a writer, author of the book Still Points, and has been featured on the BBC, CNN, here on Relevant Radio. And so we've been talking about slowing down, how the changing of the seasons can bring peace in the spirit of St. Francis and, and draws deeper in prayer as well. And this is a good time to do that as we wind down the final days of August, and we already see, as we talked about, the commercialization of the seasons, but spiritually, this is a great opportunity. How much time do we spend in our busy lives as contemplatives and to see what God is doing through these sacred seasons, also touching on the title of Our Lady of Sorrows. And his brother Richard reminds us, the church sets aside every month to allow us to focus on a title, a devotion, moving from the Immaculate Heart of Mary into the month of September and Sorrowful Mother, Our Lady under that title. And we have a few calls. I know we're almost out of uh, time and I want to try to squeeze in uh, beautiful listeners on the line who've been waiting. I want to get to Carly in Maine, who is with us, a special needs mom, and you're on with Brother Richard. Hi, Carly. Hi, Brother Richard. I I just want to thank you for this topic tonight. Um, As a mother of a uh, son who's 27 with severe autism, and to learn more about the Virgin Mother's connection with special needs mothers, it's just so comforting, and I just really appreciate your topics and ta- in sharing all that you have shared. Oh, thank you so much. It's 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 lovely to hear hear your story, and and uh, and and just to thank you. To thank you uh, for for the extraordinary gift uh, you are to your son, and your son is to the rest of us. It can be trying at times, very trying. But you, you know, you love these children, and to just understand that Mary is with me—it's so helpful and comforting. I'm so glad. Thank, Thank you. you, Carly. And I think, too, the virtue of fortitude. Certainly, Our Lady can remind us of that witness. And I want to just quickly give an overview. I don't want to do this quickly, but with time, we have to do it quickly. And that is the tradition giving us the seven sorrows of Mary. And to list them, we have the prophecy of Simeon. That's the first sorrow. And if you go to the Holy Land right by Calvary, there is a beautiful statue of Our Lady with seven swords piercing her heart. And so each of these, thinking of these sorrows, the second, the flight into Egypt, Three, loss of a child Jesus for three days. Four, Mary meets Jesus on his way to Calvary. Five, crucifixion and death of Jesus. Six, 
the body of Jesus being taken from the cross. We think of the Pieta, and then seven, the burial of Jesus. And Brother Richard, you have among your beautiful library of writings and poetry a profound poem about the meeting of our Lord with his blessed mother on the way of the cross. And as we have talked about the heart of a mother and all that that vocation brings, the crosses, the joys, the hope, and we close out this segment, could you tell us about that poem and perhaps share that piece with us? Sure, sure. I'm I'm happy to to share it. I suppose it it's um it, it, the easiest thing is 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 to read it, but it is simply a meditation on that meeting of Jesus with his mother on the way of the cross, and and maybe it it includes um, a lot of what we've been talking about today. Maybe everything from a deep contemplative way of looking at things to just being aware that God uh, in Jesus in Mary. Um, in and through Mary, I should say, is is present to the most human realities of our lives, including especially our sorrows. So the meeting on the way. I do not think it happened as the pictures often show, the woman swooning into the arms of John or held back and cowed by soldier spears. No, that is not the way a mother is present to a dying child. I have stood at the deathbed of too many not to know. No one can hold back a mother who sees death in the eyes of her son. Believe me when I tell you whether in the dusty streets or the sterile hospital room, this is how it happens by and large. The men, they weep and rage there and then as is their way, but the mothers are a steely, silent presence, a rock, immovable, their gaze granite as they bear their born into the next life. The swooning and the wailing happen only after the final stillness comes. So it must have been then too. In that moment of their meeting, I see a sphere of silence envelope them there. The sanctuary of their communion so present, so profound, that all the chaotic pain of mobbing noise seems, just for a moment, to cease around them both. As for the last time, upon his bloodied way, he rests. She had seen him safely into the world, and now she will see him safely out of it. Even though nature rebels in the hearts of all parents who see death in the face of their child. Even though the ever-present sword buries itself deeper, always deeper into her heart with every breath. She knows its pain well. It had begun the moment the angel left. Even in Nazareth days it was present, a shadow overhanging, present in every childish cut and bruise and tear, soothed upon her knee, and held at bay by love. Did she remember in that moment the day he had told her the time had come? Her life was always yes to all that liberates life, as every woman's is, whether through the womb or the heart or the mind. But surely no was near her mother's lips that day. Now all she can do is be here, now, present to him who is in this moment more than ever, simply a son in need of his mother. Brother Richard, beautiful, piercing piece. Thank you. Joining us again from Ireland, your book is still points available. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Kale. Thank you to Jim. Thank you to Patrick. Thank you for listening. Continued prayers for your vacation. God bless you. St. John the Baptist, pray for us.